Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Frost, and my guest today is the incredible Mary King. Mary's an eventer who has represented Great Britain in six Olympics from 1992 up to London 2012, where you would have seen her on Imperial Cavalier. They won Team Silver in 2012. She's won four team golds and a team bronze at the European Eventing Championships, and individually, Mary's four-time British Open champion. She's going to share her story of her riding and her horses and also how she's breeding and producing her own horses up to top level. She's also going to share what it's like competing with her own daughter, Emily King. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. Now, I have said that I've been excited on many occasions on the podcast, but today I think I'm the most excited ever. Super fan here because we have the lovely Mary King. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. So tell me today, first of all, what have you been doing today? Um, today, well, it's the end of the season. Just came back from competing in France. Um, we were out at Le Lyon d'Angers last week and lovely. came back. Um, eventually got home Monday evening. There was a bit of a storm which prevented us from coming home on the Sunday night. But anyway, we got, got home late Monday night. And it's lovely now because it's um, all the horses are resting. They're all out in sort of fields and having a nice time out. And it's just a good time to catch up with everything. And this morning I've got a three-year-old that I'm breaking in. So I've um, with her, she's a, um, a filly that's um, out of King's Temptress, my four-star mare that I won Kentucky with, and by Chilly Morning. So she's very well-bred. Oh, wow. Gosh. And she's a full sister to the one, actually, I rode out in France. So um, I've got three that are bred exactly the same. Oh, how but lovely. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so Tilly, this three-year-old, um, I, you know, at this time of the year, I, I back them myself, whichever three-year-old, you know, if I've got any three-year-olds. And she was sweet today. I put, um, she had a bridle on for the first time and she oh. was very happy and didn't mind at all. And then I put, so I've been putting sort of rollers on her and she's been fine, but I put a poly pad over her back and she kept looking at it and whinnying. Oh. It was really funny. <laughs> this little wickering at it. So anyway, she was quite relaxed. And then I put a saddle on and no, she's fine. How She'll be does, easy. Will she? <laughs> how long does it take you to back them? Because different people have different time frames. 
Yes, well, I don't set a time. Um, they, I've found over the years I've broken many of my homebred horses in, but I've done them all myself. And because they know me so well and they're friends with me, it doesn't take very long at all. You know, they, especially if they've had rugs on during the winter, they're used to having things on and off their backs. And that's mm. a, a huge step forward. And, um, yeah, no, they seem to really enjoy me getting on their backs because oh. <laughs> <laughs> they're sort of, yeah, they're ready to learn. They're ready to do things. So And they trust yeah. you. You're their mum. So I guess they're just waiting to be told what to do next. Exactly. <laughs> so who do you put on the horses first? Do you get on them first or do you put Emily on them? Um, no, I mainly um, do it myself. Yeah, I guess on myself first. And, um yeah, do it fairly on my own, really. You know, I have a cross place, um, a sort of barn in the yard that's got cross ties where the horses look out of the barn into the yard. And I do quite a bit in there and get on and off them when they're just tied in the cross ties and get, you know, used to that on and off, on and off. It's the first walking out of the barn with me on their backs. That's where I need somebody to help them, help me a little bit. <laughs> um, but that's the only time really I need help is that initial walk off out of the yard, out of the barn and just around the yard. But mm. apart from that, yeah, just truck along myself. Oh, gosh. Mary, after so many years of experience, are there any times when you still get nervous? Um, well, well, I mean, I still get really excited before a, a big event, as well as any event, really. I still really enjoy it. Um, you know, I know I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm not riding as well as I used to. Um, and I've had a lot of trouble with my neck. That's really why I've backed down the last few years. I haven't been riding at top level mm. because I've got a bit of a, a neck problem. Um, a little bit stems from when I broke it um, back in 2000. I um, got bucked off a young horse at home. Not one that I was breaking in, I mm. hasten to add. Um, it was just a, a five-year-old horse. <laughs> And got bucked off and broke my neck and oh my had gosh. to have it operated on. But that, that was back in 2000. And it's just there's things going a bit wrong um, with this at the minute. So anyway, but I'm, you know, I'm been happy eventing at the low levels the last couple of years. And I'm now been competing at two-star level this year, which oh, wow. is, you know, a step up again. But I'm not, it affects my balance a bit having this stiff neck. But anyway. I'm still enjoying it. So. Oh, gosh, because that's one thing you're known for is your balance and, and, and your position on your horses. Um, you know, a friend of mine, was when I said that we, we'd, I'd be talking to you today, she said, oh, my gosh, she has the best defensive position. Um, yeah. So how, how do you, what, how did you work on your position? What What is it? Because it is quite different, isn't it? Um, I do lean back too much sometimes. Um, I have to sort of... Um, I suppose, you know, over the years and years of eventing, I've had a few tumbles off over the front and which has taught me to be more defensive. Mm. Um, but I have to make quite an, a conscious effort not to lean back too much because that's very much what I naturally, the position I naturally seem to adopt when, you know, thing, if there's, you know, any trouble ahead sort of thing, I'll take that backward seat, but seem to be able to release my reins enough to still give the horses freedom. But um I don't know. It's it's interesting watching um, the riders, you know, the very good riders coming through now, you know, the say, for example, um, Chris Burton, um, Astia Nicholas, who won in France last week. You know, they're beautiful cross-country riders and they don't lean back like I do. <laughs> I think, oh dear, I must try not to lean back quite so much. 
Well, I don't know. Maybe they need to lean back a little bit more because you're the one that has nailed it for so many years. So Yes, maybe once they've had a few more falls off over the front, they'll get a little bit more back with their shoulders. But no, they look so beautiful to ride, um, you know, watching them ride across country. Um, yeah. And, you know, Emily, my daughter, she's very, you know, modern. she watches the right top riders um, a lot and very copies their position. And she doesn't, she's not as defensive in her riding as I am so um, see my habit is I lean too far forward anytime I'm like I'm head down you know forward forward thinking uh, which is totally wrong as we know hence why I fall (laughs) off so much Um, but but, uh, okay so the first thing then I'm fascinated with is when you're riding at two star what's the difference because there's a local place near you isn't there Bicton Arena that do some wonderful two star horse trials what's the difference you're finding between two star and international top level um well obviously international top levels four star um so it's literally the size of the fences the length of the course the um complication of some of the combinations you know obviously much more complicated the higher the level you go whereas a a two-star level is very much sort of intermediate level and you know the horses you know being tested to an extent on their you know how good they are at staying on the line um and you know turning to sort of narrow fences that sort of thing but um, you know, it's still a long way off competing at the top level, mm. you know, when you're just at two-star level. But, you know, with the with the young horses, the, the horse I took out to France last week, he's only seven years old, and he was really good across country and put up with my wobbly riding <laughs> and still galloped on clear and in the time. So very, oh, very happy. Lovely. Yeah, so he's done well. But is it like, yeah. is, it, is it more of a community feeling atmosphere, do you think? Sorry, how do you mean? Is it more, well, I don't know. I, I get this feeling from Two Star that it's really friendly, really good fun, a little bit more relaxed. Yes, yes, I suppose. Um, yes, there isn't as much... Um, pressure because the it's not such an intense competition as you would if you were going to badminton or burley or a you know four-star event um but you know it's a great sport you you make it as tense as you want you know at the end of the day you know it's up to you as a rider to be able to cope with what you're doing and and you know i always try and take the attitude you know how lucky i am just to be doing it you Mm -hmm. know and think of those starving people in you know, Africa or people in war-torn zones. And here I am riding a horse and just make the most of it, Mary, and enjoy it. Don't let the pressure get to you. You know, I've chosen to do it. So then just get on and do it and enjoy it. (laughs) Kick on, as they say. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Could you take us back to your earlier years um, competing? You had, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but was your first horse King William? Um, He was the first sort of really famous horse I had I'd had a horse called King Boris um, before him who I feel you know dear Boris he I was so lucky to have him at that stage of my career you know I was um, had invented another horse a couple of horses before that at sort of intermediate level novice intermediate um, and had ridden at advanced did ride at advanced level with the previous horse but you know Boris you know I feel he was he put up with the steepest part of my learning curve you know I was making mistakes and he was so kind and forgiving um, and you know I'd, I'd make a real mess at a fence and it might create you know a problem you know I remember it say 
badminton with him. I came too slow to the Normandy bank. I held him too much, restricted him, and he ended up having a horrid fall from the Normandy bank down onto the ground beyond the bank. Um, but luckily he wasn't hurt. Um, and, you know, then next event, off he went and would and won the next Australian. He was sort of, <laughs> he wouldn't get put off. He would always try his hardest, which... Mm. You know, he was—he wasn't a full thoroughbred horse. He would be more a three-quarter bred type, and in a way, you know, it was a great horse to have at that stage of my career. If I'd had a very sensitive thoroughbred horse, you know, it, they would have started stopping and not wanting to do it. But mm. Boris was so good <laughs> and kept going and taught me so much. And then through that, you know, I learned to ride better and better. It's amazing, isn't it, what they can teach us when we're going through those, you know, educational times. Um, yeah, but the that's fact right. that he was three quarters thoroughbred. So what breeding was King William? <laughs> oh, King William was a very, um, he was seven eighths bred type. Um, he was so seven eighths thoroughbred and eighth, don't know, we didn't really know his breeding. But he was a very quality horse, um, you know, sort of long legs, real athlete, very, very light on his feet, really good galloper. And and he was a beautiful horse, an amazing cross-country horse. Yeah. <laughs> and you had a wonderful groom with them as well, didn't you, that you had for a long time. I heard that, um, that you're one of the first people to actually say, you know, well done to the grooms, because now they're getting quite <laughs> a lot of credit, but then they mm. weren't. And it's, and I feel part of it's quite sad. You know, we've got the new generations coming through, like your daughter, Emily, and the, mm. and the youngsters of today are, are not going to know what happened all those years ago and what the industry was mm-hmm. like then. So um, yeah. what, what was it like you working with your grooms? Yes, I felt I'm, I, when I left school, I went and worked for a lady called Sheila Wilcox, mm. who was um, had been a top event rider in her day, but had had a, broken her back, actually, in a fall. So she wasn't eventing, but she was running a high-class um, dealing yard. And I went and worked for her and learned a huge amount. You know, we um, I was there for two and a half years, breaking in horses, producing horses for her, always with her. She was very, very strict and left no stone unturned and everything was immaculate in the yard and the horses were always turned out immaculately. It was a really good learning process for me, but it was very, very tough. And she was a very hard lady to work for. And there were many girls through the two and a half years I was there, many girls came, were planning to work for a year or two and they left after a week or two weeks because she was, she was hard, you know, she was really tough and it, after whatever I thought if ever if ever I employ somebody I'm gonna make it nice for them you know I, I it was sort of you know I thought you can get somebody to work as well if not better if you're nice to them you don't have mm. to be strict and hard on them all the time so anyway Annie was one of my first people I employed and she stayed with me for 10 years yes all through King William's era and came to the, my first Barcelona Olympics and Atlanta Olympics. And and she was a really good friend. We sort of worked as a, a team, really. You know, although I was the rider and she was the groom, we very much worked together. And, yeah, you know, she was a good friend and still is to this day. Is she? What does she do yeah. now? Um, well, yeah, she left um, and she got married and got two children. I'm the godmother to oh. Katie Corbin, her daughter. And um, Annie works part time up. We've got the donkey sanctuary up the road from where we live, which is a great big um, concern. 
and Annie's um, there. She works part time up there in the offices, and um, yes, still keeps in touch with what I'm up to. And Katie, her daughter, is definitely wants to be Emily's groom when she leaves school. <laughs> How lovely! That would be a so, fab idea, wouldn't it? Taking yeah, it on again. So yeah, exactly. when, when you were working with Annie, uh, some of the competitions had steeplechases in, didn't they? Yes, it was um, what they call long format, the three day event. Um, that we have now is very different from how it used to be. They call it what, how it's run now is short format, whereas it used to be long format. And the difference being on that cross country day, not only did you gallop round, well, an even longer cross country, badminton was more like 12 or 13 minutes, whereas now it's more like sort of 11 minutes. Mm. Um, so it would be at least another minute longer course. Um, but before you set off across country, you did all these roads and tracks and then a steeplechase course as well. So the horses did a huge amount before they even set off across country. So, yeah, it was a real stamina test. Yeah, and, and roads and tracks were one of the first to take that out. You know, they were come, come out of the long form, weren't they? Yes, yeah. I mean, they took it all. I think they took it all out together, the roads and tracks and steeplechase, which were you did phase A, which was um, usually, well, at a four-star level, about 20 minutes of trotting, you know, good strong trot, 20 minutes. And phase A took you to the start of phase B, which was the steeplechase. Um, and then you galloped at um, fast, at um, not quite racing speed, but, you know, faster than us event riders go <laughs> yeah, around a cross-country course, proper galloping around a steeplechase course um, of four and a half minutes of gallop, fast gallop. And then when you came through the finishing flags of the steeplechase, that was the starting flags of phase C. And phase C was about 45 minutes of trotting. So you did a lot of work with your horses before finally coming back to the start of the cross country where you had a 10 minute compulsory halt. If you arrived with only nine minutes to go, that was it. You know, you've made you made a big mistake and that time would go into your cross country time. So you had made sure you arrived sort of at least two minutes in hand. So you had about 12 minutes in the 10 minute halt box because you had a compulsory 10 minutes. You had to be there. And that's where you wash the horses down. The vets check them thoroughly um, to check that they were fit and um, well enough to continue around the cross country. Mm. But it made it a very different sport. There are a lot, how it's really changed is that there are a lot more foreign um, continental horses competing now, which, you know, which are the beautiful moving, beautiful jumping horses and they can gallop a certain amount of time but there's no way they could do the long format they would conk out at about <laughs> fence four or five across country they just just weren't built you know they're not built as stamina horses whereas you know thoroughbred type horses was the one you needed so it's changed yeah. eventing completely hasn't it do you yes. miss do you miss having that part of it um, to be honest, no, I'm really glad I did it. And I really loved it at the time. And I was very fortunate to have, you know, King William, Star Appeal, King Solomon. They were good, long 
format three-day event horses and they lasted a long time as well which you know was was wonderful but now you know it was really hard on the horses so many horses you know were injured and then you know had strained tendons or strained something mm-hmm. um and that was you know prevented them from competing again or only competing then at lower level Whereas, um, you know, that was, I think, one of the reasons of the sport changing was to allow the horses extra longevity in the sport, but um, which I think it has a bit. But the trouble is now allowing the then the continental horses to come in. They don't last as long anyways, mm-hmm. <laughs> the majority <laughs> of the thoroughbreds, in fact. But, you know, and then it's much more, I think for the spectators, they never really took a lot of notice of the roads and tracks and steeplechase. So it was a little bit, some people, you know, the real fanatics of the sport knew it went on, but mm. the general public have no idea that no, they were I doing know. that That's as well. That's what's so fascinating about it, is I'm finding yeah. out all these things that we didn't even know, you know, we didn't even know about steeplechasing. I watched a video the other day of a lady that's steeplechasing, and I literally, my heart, was, my stomach was in my mouth because it's yeah. just go, 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 go the whole time. Yes, yeah. Um, Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So then, obviously, you became pregnant and you had the lovely Emily. Did you know when you had a baby? I mean, obviously, when you have a a baby, there's so much love there. You don't even, can't even imagine that you could have any more love for anybody else. Um, (laughs) Did did you ever think that, you know, at 20, she'd be riding around badminton and you'd be stood on the sideline biting your nails? (laughs) (laughs) No, I had no idea, you know, and I was very relaxed as she was, you know, a young girl and growing up, I didn't persuade her to ride or, you know, she she wanted to always, you know, come to the yard and be around the horses and, you know, so it was just in her, you know, to do it. I But I was very relaxed as to whether she rode or not. But, um, yeah, that's the path she's chosen. And, yeah, she's 
stuck at it and yeah has already you know had great success for her age so she's doing incredibly well um <laughs> but but there, there's so much of a support for you both as a family as well I think it's really lovely as a mother and daughter you get people that have mother and daughter shares on horses um, but yeah. to be able to to take this to a whole new level and compete together that must be really mm. lovely to spend that time together Yes, I feel very, you know, lucky and honoured as a mum to be able to share my life with with Emily. You know, we do, we get on very well. We're quite different characters, but maybe that's why we do manage to work um, well together. And and it's lovely, like when we went to France last week, my mum came, so there was three generations. Mum, at the age of 81, still drives the great big horse box. Oh, wow. Um, you know, which is a, a big lorry that carries six horses and got living accommodation. And Shah and Lou, it's a great big long thing because it's, well, we you know we need it. We're in it all the time, off to competitions. And, you know, there's mum driving around Paris in a big <laughs> lorry. So... You know, there's mum. She's not a horsey, my mother. She's quite scared of the horses. But it was lovely to have, you know, there was her. And then actually I was riding in France. Emily wasn't. And then Emily came to groom for me out there. So mm. it was lovely to have, um, yeah, to have three generations in the lorry. Yeah, and to spend so much time together doing something that you both really, really enjoy. Um, your yeah. poor husband. I mean, it's hard enough dealing with a wife that loves horses, but to have a daughter as well. Yes, luckily, Freddie, our son, isn't horsey. Um, so he can, you know, him and David, you know, he'd go off to the farm with David and help him or they go off and they're both you know great rugby followers and football and all that sort of thing so they can do a bit more boy things together while as Emily and I do horsey things together <laughs> mm. yeah. I do have to ask you Mary what was it like for you seeing poor Emily fall at badminton last year it must have been yeah. horrific because when I saw I was there when I saw it I literally thought of you as a yeah. mum thinking oh my gosh that must have been yeah. horrific um well, it wasn't, it sounds bad saying it wasn't horrific. Um, you know, because I've, you know, had many falls over the years, I know, you know, it's just a hazard of the sport that happens. And um, it's more the fact of, you know, knowing that how disappointed she'll be, you know, how near she was to such success. And then it all went wrong near the end. But um, I suppose I take the same attitude as if I'm riding, you don't worry about falling off and hurting yourself. And if you do fall, you just want to sort of get up as quick as you can and, you know, sort of carry on. <laughs> and I suppose in with Emily, when she has a fall, you know, obviously I think, oh, I hope she's okay. But I don't panic that she might have, you know, really hurt herself. You mm. just sort of think, oh, dear, more. Oh, no, poor thing. She's had a fall. That sort of attitude. You know, poor Emily. She's, oh, what a shame when she's put so much work into it and it's gone wrong. But, yeah. you know, it's that sort of mindset you have I suppose like with yourself when you're you're you know I'm competing <laughs> yeah well we worry all the time every jump I'm worrying about the riders yeah. but maybe that's because when we you know we're not living it all the time we're not doing it all the time so no, that's um, right. like you said it's 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 part of the job really but you must mm. just be immensely proud of her yes yeah no I certainly am yeah <laughs> so um now you're gonna have a bit of a break which is lovely you're breeding as well aren't you Yes, yeah, bred quite a few horses over the years, um, which is exciting. And we've had the most foals we've ever had this year. We've had five foals, which wow. is very exciting. But all five didn't 
um, come out of their proper mother. They were born, they were as, as little eight day old embryos. They were flushed out of their proper mummy. You know, their proper mothers were inseminated. And then, um, eight days later, the, um, the, they were, um, flushed and out came little embryo, which then was put into a recipient mare, a, sur- a surrogate mare where the, um, foals grew. And so, yeah, so we've got five foals and it's funny because they're all, you know, good quality foals, but they're with their mothers who vary from one's this big fat colored cob that <laughs> is the surrogate mother to one, whereas you've got a huge, great, tall, foreign looking horses and mother to another one. And it's funny, you have all different shapes and sizes of surrogate mothers, whereas all the foals look you know, beautiful quality foals. <laughs> oh, and they've obviously got they've obviously got their own personalities as well. But what a nice stepping stone to move into from your eventing and your training and your coaching to now to be bringing on new babies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, well, I've, um, see, I started breeding a while ago and I've competed, you know, my homebred horses up to the top level. Um, so it's been, no, it's been very satisfying to, be able to breed them and then produce them myself up to the top level and you know and it's they say breeding's a mugs game and so many things can go wrong but for me it's been it has you know I've made good money doing it it's you know we live in a a house that really we've built a lot of the money that's to build this house has come from selling my horses that I've bred you know producing Mm -hmm. the horses up to a level where they get more valuable and then selling them although that's quite hard um selling them (laughs) (laughs) it's funny because I'm not soft that soft about the horses you know I love them dearly but if they're not good enough they get sold to somebody who's less competitive and that's that you know I don't not also love them that I don't want to part with them you know I'm not Mm. like that I'm quite sort of hard in that way but I found with the homebred horses it is quite hard (laughs) selling them because you sort of they're like part of your family and Yeah, I feel a bit sort of guilty, really. (laughs) (laughs) You'll end up having a retirement farm. So when they've competed, they'll all come back to you in the end. That would be lovely, (laughs) wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's also important to to remember that you built all of this yourself from nothing, from, um, Mm. I believe, working as a, you're working as a cleaner at one point, you know, in the early days. Yes, I did all sorts of odd jobs to make it work. But yes, just me as a family and... Um, my father had had a very bad um, motorcycle accident, so he was never the same person again after his accident and um, couldn't sort of work properly. Um, and my mum was, you know, just very good at looking after him and, you know, just being around. And, you know, we lived in a little cottage that went with jobbers. Um, my father would manage to become, do verges duties in the village church and we lived in the verges cottage. And... Yeah, so it didn't have any, and they weren't horsey at all, but so I had to make it happen. And yeah, luckily, I don't know why, I've got this drive in me to, <laughs> to make it happen and just kept plugging on and yes, done all sorts of things to make enough money to buy another set of shoes for my horse and all that sort of thing. <laughs> I always say we'd, I'd rather eat, I quite often eat beans on toast so that my horse can eat. Um, yeah. Because that's what you do, isn't it? You just keep going, and I think yeah. I think your story in, in particular is is really inspirational because you can see it from the beginning, from having nothing, to you know where you are in your career now. It's just lovely, yeah. and then to watch Emily. I'm so excited for her. <laughs> so we're going yeah, to be catching you. up with Emily very soon, so you'll be able to hear that's that right. next week. And yes. um, 
I've taken up more than enough of your time, Mary. Thank you so much. Okay, not at all, not at all. Your sponsors are a really big part of King Eventing, aren't they? So who are your sponsors? Absolutely. Well, yes, I mean, that's how Emily and I, how we managed to run the yard is that we're very reliant on owners um, who own the horses and sponsors who help, um, you know, who we work with sponsors to promote their products in exchange for free product or, you know, some pay. And, you know, we have different arrangements for different companies, but no work with many companies, um, from um, things like Marksway Horsehage, which are, um, you know, do fantastic haylage, and they're a Devon-based company, which is lovely. Um, Bailey's Horse Feeds, um, and then we, um, um, I've been with Jules um, as the sort of the clothing clothing range, Ariat for my riding boots and jodhpurs. Um, oh, there's so many. <laughs> the list in front of me, really, but um, um, new equine wear and poly pads for the horses' boots and mm. and saddlecloths. I was with Barnsby as my tax sponsor, but sadly Barnsby um, are no more. So I'm just carrying on at the moment. I've still got some nice Barnsby tack still. So once that starts to get a bit old, I'll be looking for another one. Oh, good. (laughs) Right. So there you go. So expect some phone calls then to be your new tax supplier. Um, We can can follow you. We can head to your website, kingeventing.co.uk. We can follow you on Twitter and Facebook too. That's right. Yes, yes. yes. It's been an absolute pleasure, Mary. Thank you so, so much. I hope that you feel better. I hope that your neck gets better soon. And um, we look forward to seeing you next season. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Well, how could you not? It's Mary King. And next week we have Emily King. It'd be really nice to hear her story of growing up with her mum as a really amazing rider. And also what it's been like for her during her career and her competing at badminton for the first time this year. Mary and Emily are both sponsored by Horse Hage, a high quality dust free bagged forage available in four varieties. High fibre, Timothy, ryegrass and alfalfa offering a choice suitable for all types of horses and ponies including those prone to laminitis you can find out more information on horseage if you head to their website horseage.co.uk right more information for you on the horse hour website if you just head to horsehour.co.uk we've got a whole bunch of education and advice on there for you we've got pictures videos interviews and we're getting really excited because in two weeks I'm heading to the Metropolitan Police. Now, you would have seen a video a few months ago where I went and interviewed Sergeant Craig Richards and we found out what it's like behind the scenes at the Metropolitan Police. Well, they've been kind enough to invite me back because this year they're performing at Olympia, which will be amazing. So we're going to go and see how the team are preparing, what it's like for them getting their horses to jump through fire. And remember, they take their jackets off whilst they're riding and jumping bushes at the same time. It's amazing what these guys do and it'll be nice to know how their well how the last six months has been for them um, when they're out on patrol as well so you can catch up with all of that on our website and you'll be able to listen to some interviews on uh, the podcast in a few weeks and of course we'll be catching up with them at olympia as well so lots going on at horse hour as always i love to see what you're up to with your horses so i hope you enjoy the horse hour networking hour tonight between 8 and 9 p.m where you can ask a uh, four-star eventer aaron miller any questions that you like about eventing and he's so lovely so really do get in your questions because he'll be really good with his advice 
You can also follow us on Facebook. We're at Horse Hour and Instagram too. Now to show us what you've been up to with your horses, you can send me videos or pictures. Just include hashtag Horse Hour at the end of your tweet or the end of your post. I hope you have a really lovely week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.